Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sport Intern Special Podcast with me, Ashish Sharma, a series in which we speak to people who shape the future of the Olympic movement. In this episode, we speak to Yanis Exarchos, the CEO of the Olympic Broadcasting Services, the OBS, and what a task they've had, organising all the live transmission and broadcast of the Tokyo Summer Olympics, and then without pausing, moving straight on to the Beijing Winter Games. Well, I began my chat with Yanis by asking him to give me more of a background of the OBS. OBS is what we call the host broadcaster of the Olympic Games. We do the Olympic Games, both edition, summer and winter, and also the Youth Olympic Games, and we also cover the Paralympic Games. What is host broadcasting? It is essentially the operation that delivers the coverage of every single moment of, uh, of competition of the Games, the ceremonies, and we look after the needs of all the rights-holding broadcasters, broadcasters who have bought the rights for the uh, Olympic Games. In uh, the long past, what happened was that usually in every country where you had the major sporting events like the Olympics, the national television or the local broadcaster would, would assume this role. They would do this production and they would deliver to the rest of broadcasters around the world. Uh, with the growth and complexity of the games, um, there started being two fundamental issues. First of all, the need for such a production became huge, so this added to the complexity. And also, uh, the Olympics being the Olympics, this, cover, this coverage needed to be absolutely unbiased. It's only normal that a national broadcaster would be more interested, more focused, or I would say, would tell the story from a point of view of national interest. This is not something that we can afford in the Olympic Games. You know, for us, uh, an Olympic gold medalist is a gold medalist, no matter whether he or she comes from the United States or China or a small country or, or whatever. In Tokyo, we produced more than 10,000 hours of content. We used 8,000 professionals from more than 100 countries. And, and we had to service more than 12,000 broadcasters who were present in the city. The volume of connectivity going out from the International Broadcast Center that we are responsible for setting up and operating in Tokyo had the capacity of connectivity of a city of the equivalent of London going out of one building. How easy or difficult is it to satisfy everyone? I mean, you must have a litany of complaints saying, yeah, but we didn't get enough of this. and and. How do you balance it up? Because I suppose you always sense, have that sense of responsibility that these people, have, these broadcasters have paid money Absolutely. and they have a right. Absolutely. And let me, first of all, explain to you what is this responsibility, because it's one thing to say that it's, uh, it's the revenues, of course, and this important. One of the reasons why the IOC <coughs> went ahead with the creation of OBS to secure uh, that uh, rights-holding broadcasters would be getting uh, content of the quality that they had expected and they pay for. But this money, in the way that the Olympic movement is structured, 
uh, is actually the vast majority of that goes in order to fund sports. So, as you know, the, the IOC retains a little bit less than 10% for its own operation. The rest is distributed across the world in sport federation, international federations, national Olympic committees, and the organizing committees. So, ensuring that the broadcasters are getting what they pay for is, in a sense, ensuring a lifeline for the world of sports. For, for uh, Tokyo, the level of satisfaction of our broadcasters was in the range of 4.7 out of 5. Uh, if you want my opinion, this is probably a little bit too much. I think that broadcasters gave us an additionally positive feedback, probably because they realized what it took to deliver Tokyo. Uh, in the Olympic Stadium, where you have track and field and so on, OBS would normally use anything up to 100, let's say, 110 cameras to cover track and field and to cover the, the ceremonies. But in the stadium, if you counted the number of cameras that you can see there, probably there are more than 700. Because also broadcasters are bringing in additional cameras to focus, you know, on an athlete that they want, on a reaction of a part of the audience that they want, on their dignitaries, all these things that customize the coverage. But of course, for this to happen, it needs to be coordinated through OBS. We need to secure the space, we need to provide them with platforms, we need to provide them with connectivity. Some of the big broadcasters, they add a few cameras live. Now, it's true that this happens mainly uh, from a few broadcasters, for a few sports, a few sports that are of very high interest, I would say, from a national point of view, where they have a lot of athletes and they want to spend a lot of time there. And that for every broadcaster. I'm not saying that every broadcaster has the same complexity of level of needs, but many broadcasters want to have an additional camera to do their interviews, you know, in the mix zone of, uh, of track and field. You may have anything up to 90 live cameras of broadcasters taking interviews. We have to coordinate and organize all that. Let's look at the two editions of the Olympics then. Um, from your point of view, strategically, which is an easier, which is a harder event to organize? And, and, in, and, and in this particular case, you literally were jumping out of the bed of Tokyo into the, into the bed of uh, Beijing in a very short space of time. How, how big a jump is it to go from a, a summer edition into a winter edition? I mean, different sports, different conditions come into play. The challenges, I would say, are different for summer and winter. If you ask me, the complexity of the summer games is, is bigger uh, because of the sheer amount of competition. It's probably it's around three times more than what it is for the winter games. However, the Winter Games have some special challenges that have to do with the nature of the sports and especially with the outdoor sports, especially with, um, with sports like Alpine and so on that take place in conditions which are not easily controllable and also in places where <laughs> they're not designed for broadcasting. They're designed to be accessible to very few people who have this capacity. So putting together production crews that can cover every single meter of a downhill, you know, it takes for these people to know the sport extremely well, for us to plan way ahead where we can place the cameras, how do we access our equipment there, sometimes with the helicopters and so on to have even camera operators who are great skiers themselves and can go there and come back. How do we service all that? How do we keep 
people warm in conditions of minus 21 with wind. So all this stuff is, I would say, part of the complexities of a winter edition. The complexity of uh, the summer edition is primarily the size of the games, uh, the fact that you have a lot of stuff going on at the same time, and also the participation of many more broadcasters, because the winter edition is a little bit more limited in the world in terms of natural interest for the sports, even though this is growing. In, uh, in, in the summer edition, you have the whole world. So you have to service uh, extremely sophisticated, demanding big broadcasters from big countries, and you have to pay equal attention to make sure that the broadcaster you know, from a country where uh, perhaps broadcasting is not so developed or they don't have the material or the financial resources to bring a lot of people, will have the opportunity, if they have a gold medalist, to have this on their prime time, to have it live, to have an interview and so on. And this is super, super important and we cannot fail in a single country. And us paying attention to the specific needs of every broadcaster is very important for what we do. Now, practically all broadcasters receive the coverage of the game wherever they are in the world. We set up during the games an international uh, telecommunication network, which is of broadcast grade, extremely resilient. OBS is building that around the world, and we deliver all the signals through fiber, through satellite, and lately through the cloud everywhere in the world, so broadcasters can pick it up back home. Because of course this was the first Olympics that had no spectators at all. Did you in the back of your mind also have this sense of responsibility that, that there are fans that just can't go there? And in a sense, we need to be the eyes and the ears for those fans as well. When the games were postponed, a few months actually, before they, they were postponed, if I remember correct, on March the 25th, you know, on July would have the opening ceremony. At the time, we had 150 people on the ground in Tokyo. We were 95% there in finishing the construction of the broadcast center when this happened. So we had, first of all, after the postponement, to start replanning everything. It was not even a given when the games would take place. So we had to replan everything, redo all our contracts. We're talking about thousands of, con of contracts uh, with individuals, with our main providers. A lot of the equipment was already in Tokyo, and this would be equipment that potentially the providers would need for their events in September and October and so on. How to do all that? How to fully protect and help additionally broadcasters who found themselves in a difficult situation, not just vis-a-vis -vis the games of Tokyo, but operating themselves back in their own countries because of the pandemic. They were in a difficult situation, not just to plan for the games, but to even keep on operating. They have to rethink how they work even back home. You know, many of the competitions were cancelled. They have to rethink how they do things and so on. So we started a very intense work, first of all, in trying to think how can we uh, deliver the games even assuming that the pandemic is not over. And it was not eventually over. When we finalized this basic plan, which became part of um, 
of the famous playbooks for the Tokyo Games that the IOC and, um, and, and Tokyo uh, Organizing Committee developed together. For the broadcast edition, there was an additional book actually with the specific procedures and solutions for broadcasting. So we had to develop very, very fast best practices in order to keep the operation, enable broadcasters to still be able to do whatever they wanted to do, but also to keep them safe. The nature of the Olympic event is, in a sense, authenticity. So for us, the, the big question is how can we still create atmosphere or, or facilitate the creation of atmosphere, but keeping this authentic. And what we did is we went back to all the recordings we had from Rio and we assessed sports by sport the actual uh, audio situation in the specific venues for the specific sports. Because the audio environment for, uh, for a closed venue and for an open venue is not the same. It's not the same for tennis. The acoustics are completely different. And even if you cannot describe why, you can feel that something is off. So what we decided to actually do is to refeed back in the venue and not on the broadcast track some of the tracks of real audio, passive audio from the venues without the specific reactions to the specific uh, competition uh, or event that was happening, but this, uh, how can I say, ambient audio that a full venue has, because a full venue full of people without them reacting to something specifically already has a very rich atmosphere. It's the human presence. And this is what we fed back to the sports presentation people, to the organizers. We, it, was, it helped us the fact that all the venues in Tokyo had excellent audio facilities and they were feeding back into the speakers of the venues, this low-level ambience from the equivalent venues of the equivalent sports back in Rio, without specific reaction to play-by-play, -play, but simply by providing the sense that the venue is full of human presence. That was Yanis Exarchos, the CEO of the Olympic Broadcasting Services. In the next edition, Yanis looks forward to the Paris Olympics and talks about technological innovations in broadcasting. Don't forget you can stay up to date with all the latest sports news by subscribing to the Sport Inter newsletter produced Monday to Friday. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>